All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Hold My Bread. I'm your first host, Matt Beckus, here once again with your second host, Joel Wachowski. I am the second host, which, you know, if we're talking host terms, that means I'm throwing the after party, baby. Welcome to Hold My Bread. Gather round. Let's join the gluten gang. It is time to carbo load. This is Hold My Bread. The 1,313 dollar and 24 cent podcast. I think it's a record high for the podcast. How does that feel to you, Maddie? <laughs> that's great. I mean, that is that's really great. That feels good, especially because just what was it two episodes ago where we liquidated a few things and we bought some new purchases. It seems like we made some right moves. Yeah, we did. Um, we were we reconfigured our portfolio. When we were around $850, we took a few baths to get us there. And since then, we brought ourselves up with some investments to 1100 Bank, and we've made around $175 in the market in the past three weeks. That's great. But now, how much of that, and this brings us kind of nicely into our first topic, though, how much of that uh, was just today? Um, today was about $50 worth. But, you know, my favorite stock, Twitter, had a pretty big day today. It is up 4%. From last week, it is up $5 per share to 34.11. It's still below that IPO price. So, you know, opportunity for our listeners to get into it. But today, um, our green energy index fund, ICLN, did good. Our gold company, GTN, is almost doubled in about three weeks. And then Bank of America and Cloudera are starting to show some good da- gains. So that's amazing. Everything we bought with Moneybags Riley two weeks ago is up and up. We are still watching CRISPR, waiting for it to go down, but that won't happen anytime soon. Amazing, though. That's amazing. With just a couple of weeks, we've already uh, really turned it around. I'm so excited. Well, so yeah, today, um, 600 uh, points. It was up, the market was up 600 points. Um, Basically, from the open, it shot up, and it's the first time above uh, 25,000 points in months. And uh, I think it has to do a lot with the economy kind of somewhat reopening, and people are in, in anticipation of it reopening. Uh, whether or not that is a good idea, obviously, uh, is up for debate. But with the anticipation of that, it does seem to be affecting the market. Uh, the S&P 500 is above 3,000 for the first time since early March, uh, which is pretty insane. It is wild to see the market climbing up like this, given the state of things still. However, I will say there are certain points built into the U.S. fiscal calendar in which we can expect the stock market to have a boon. And the Tuesdays where markets reopen after a three-day weekend, I don't have the research to back me up, but... And I don't even know how to even do this research without pouring through Google for hours. But I bet Memorial Day Tuesday is always a good day for the stock market. This year is no exception. That's a very good point. Uh, it's like one of those things you can probably bet it on. Uh, same thing with you know gas prices. Gas prices obviously are way up uh, during Memorial Day. Everyone's cooking out. People are usually traveling, and that is no different. I mean, I saw a gas impress. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't have a car out here, but I am still, uh, I don't have a lot to pay attention to. So I'm watching gas prices and gas prices went up almost a dollar overnight, uh, leading into Memorial day. So I think you are, I think you're onto something there. 
That was a really delicate and gentlemanly way to address your huffing habit. So <laughs> I just I like the way it smells. And you know what? This is this was a time in our calendar. I don't know if you felt this, but I was compelled, and I think a lot of our American listeners felt the same way. I wanted to go out and spend a little money this weekend. So I'm here in Sedona, Arizona, which is a bit of a tourist town. It was swamped. Get ready for the second wave. Um, I know Donald Trump is happy that this is the third time the Dow has broken 25,000 during his presidency. <laughs> but the way, and, you know, it takes a good president to get it once, a great president to get it twice, but unbelievable. <laughs> Hitting the Dow 25,000 times once isn't even enough for this guy. <laughs> Hit it, hit it, hitting it three times, what is it? An underage Miss America contestant? How are we? hey Yeah, but uh, there's so, there so many people out. A second wave does appear likely, but we can still look at the money to be had lately. Big leisure stocks, United Airlines, Carnival, MGM Resorts, soaring this morning because people probably spent a little bit of money there over the weekend. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, um, yeah, I mean, Memorial Day is a leisurely holiday. I think that's what I, uh, other than obviously what it's for, uh, you know, remembering the troops, but I think a lot of people associate Memorial Day with like, it's the start of summer, people are on their boats, people are out, uh, usually going on vacations, long road trips, things like that. So uh, that doesn't surprise me that leisure stocks are up because people, uh, especially after being cooped up in their homes, are after they're trying to get some of that leisure. And we talked about how this this date in the calendar was designed to be a stock market bump because we've kind of seen alternating days of bumps and crashes. Um, really, it's like when you let a drunk pregnant lady drive your car. But um, today <laughs> was the first day trading resumed on the Wall Street floor. People got masks. There are glass windows people are hiding behind. Oh, that is interesting. I did not, I didn't know that. I'd be curious to see. I mean, there have to be photos. I'm going to have to look up some photos of that. I'd be interested to see what that looks like. Well, you, there might not be the photos you expect because the most photographed guy on Wall Street, this dude, Peter Tuckman, he's always in the news. He's always giving the reaction when things are either really good or really bad. He's the economics equivalent of like the fat guy being shown on the news during stories on obesity. <laughs> so. Seriously, he is the face of Wall Street for our publications, but he has not been able to be captured, giving his jubilant face of returning to the trading floor because he's hospitalized with coronavirus. Oh, no. Did they yeah. ring the bell at half-mast today? Um, uh, well, ring the bell at half-mast, what would it be? That's just a dinging, then. You get the ding, you don't get the dong until he's better. Fair. I, th I think that is a good compromise. <laughs> and this is my favorite story about just Wall Street returning. Everyone needs their muse. Wall Street photographers are no exceptions. But hey, 45% of laid off workers aren't going to have their jobs to come back to. So let's be chill with that. Let's just celebrate the momentary games and not, not really think about how much worse this is going to make our economy look further down the line. Right. We didn't get where we are by thinking ahead. We got where we are by living in the moment and enjoying it while it was here, not seeing the crash that's coming. Yes, and things are going to change. And there's a term, Naomi Klein. She popularized it with her book, The Shock Doctrine. And it's kind of like 
pauses, these big disruptions in our life, they're used to accelerate lifestyle changes or political agendas. And it happens so quickly, we don't realize society has been changed by the time said modifications are put in place. And we're going to look at uh, a company we hear advertised on a lot of podcasts, Clear. Do you know what those are? Do you have Clear, Matt? I don't believe I have Clear. So Clear's business model is kind of like they're good at adapting to changes in the marketplace. So back in the day, they were a good security company. They lost a laptop with encrypted person, unencrypted personal information. And some hedge fund guys, they still saw the potential. They purchased the company and they made it quicker to get through airport security based on scans of your irises or fingerprints. And Homeland Security, they qualified them as an anti-terrorism firm. So by kind of getting into that space, they created the technology for these new procedures of getting through security at the airports. And they did a really good job. They kind of stand alone in their field. But now they've pivoted into touchless technology just around the fear that coronavirus is going to lurk on any surface. So... Now there's going to be hands-free navigation at airports, but they're going to they're going to roll out this same technology at office buildings for entry. So Clear is probably going to be leading the way with this kind of big surveillance capitalism that is under the guise of public health benefits. Oh, that is interesting. Well, what is, well, what an evil, not an evil, not, they remain to be seen, but what a, uh, what an ominous company. This is crazy. So wait, are they publicly traded? We can invest in this company. Let's see. Can you imagine investing in the downfall? I mean, that's, oh, this is exactly what conspiracy theorists, uh, are. they're going to be eating this up, you know, clear. They're going to be scanning your irises, tracking us. All this stuff feeds right into the fears that, uh, all these people already have. I'm yeah, not, no, I'm not set up for fear I should, or clear. I should. I mean, it makes sense for people who travel a lot. I'm a driver. That's the only thing that's keeping me like this. And But Clear is not a publicly traded company. They're pre-IPO, but it goes along with a lot of stuff that big tech's already doing. They, they get their data from all your devices. They sell the resulting data for hundreds of billions of dollars. And now touchless technology is going to be the new front where that's, that data is going to be procured. And like on their end, this is just going to be billed as like a one-time shift in technology, and it's going to stay like this forever. So you don't even need to get those Instagram story games to give the Chinese your facial recognition data. All you need to do is get a freaking airport. That's wow. Well, it's like um, what people say, they don't take your rights away uh like right in your face, they just disguise it as something else. And then by the time you realize it, it's too late. It's like what they said, what happened after nine 11, right? That's when that's everyone says that that was the day that, uh, everyone's rights took a step back to a degree and all that stuff. Uh, and I guess coronavirus is just an ex, uh, expounding on that sort of situation where it's like now, uh, even less of our rights and more of our data. And it's crazy to me that they're backed by the government too, because if you can get your company backed by the government, unless you do something to piss the government off, they're not going to let you fail. It's almost like being, you know, it's like China, it's being a company in China sort of thing where it's like, they're not going to let, they're, they're not going to let one of their companies fail unless they want it to. 
Hey, and we're no exceptions. We are technically backed by the government. And since that happened, our stocks have gone up. We've been doing well. And things are really good. It is good to be on the government. But, like, we talk about the shock and how things pivot on, like, just one change in human history. And we're kind of seeing, like, markets and consumer expectations to really reach a wild variance. Like, is there an idea that is more commonly associated with the future than a driverless car? That's true. The only thing more is a if uh, people want flying cars and hoverboards. I think that that's the only step above a driverless car for some people. But yeah, a driverless car to me is is the is very futuristic. Yeah, and it's been talked about as the next big wave. But in the wake of this, a a lot of automakers have taken a big hit. A lot of rideshare apps have taken a big hit. And these companies they're struggling to maintain their status quo, and they can no longer sink billions of dollars into research and development for the driverless car. And they're not going to come out and say this, but these companies are cash strapped. They're uncertain. They have no idea how to predict consumer behavior because who knows what consumers will even be. So very quietly, the entire capitalist world has backed away from the driverless car. Interesting. I mean, I think... Yeah, that's interesting because it wasn't Ford and all these big motor companies. They were moving in that direction to compete with Tesla. And now, I guess, with all the uncertainty, they don't uh, they don't know if they're going to be able to. I guess that probably helps Tesla to, in, in that aspect because Tesla's not going to – they're on the forefront of all this. So I don't think that's going to slow them down at all. Yeah, but unless it's like a full like industry-wide movement, I don't think it'll get the groundswell of support that it needs to really become a ubiquitous part of our society. And we talk about Ford and Chrysler, like Ford, they think they're going to lose $5 billion this quarter. Fiat Chrysler, they're losing $2 billion the first quarter. And GM, they made a little bit of money, $300 million, but that's an 86% drop-off of what they've been in the past year, if you, you just want to go across the board with automakers, VW earnings down 75% and Toyota, their full year profit is get down 80%. So how are these companies going to reinvigorate like a rapid change in technology in consumer purchasing and how we get around from a very fundamental point of view when they're on against the ropes themselves? I, um, I don't know. I honestly don't care about a lot of the auto companies at all. I don't feel bad. I don't know. It doesn't. It's one of the things that we've been in quarantine, obviously, long enough that we're seeing all these commercials and things like that. If I have to see one more commercial about how my local Acura dealer is like thinking of me or like my local Ford dealer is there for me during all this, I'm going to shoot myself in the face. I can't handle it's it's the most unnecessary. These ads thinking uh, thanking the the nurses and the doctors and stuff from car companies is disgusting to me. Absolutely. And like, I see this story. I see that Ford's losing all this money. This is my one hope in my entire life of the Ford family having to sell the Detroit Lions. <laughs> they will never win as long as that family's in, in charge. They haven't won in 50 years. They're run by a 98-year-old heiress. So really, t- 
keep losing money, Ford. You're going to need to break even. You're losing $5 billion. Well, I know how to get you $1.5 billion. Sell the Detroit Lions to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> you would rather have... <laughs> You'd rather have Jeff Bezos on the uh, on the Lions than a ninety-eight-year-old uh, woman. Ford. Yeah, yeah. Martha Firestone Ford is ninety-eight years old. She's in charge of a billion-dollar asset. Like we see David Teppen, like one of the top guy in hedge funds. He got out of the entire financial sector when he bought the Carolina Panthers. He's going all in to build that operation. And meanwhile. The Detroit Lions have always been the plaything of the dipshits who are not able to run the Ford Motor Company. They get the Detroit Lions. I, how long have they owned the Lions? Since they uh, have they owned them since the inception of the team? No, I think they bought them in the 1960s. 1965 is okay. what I want to say. Looking it up because I have a very specific brand of gridiron autism. Oh my gosh! What did I, what did I say? 1965, I think, is what you said. I said November 22nd, 1963. Uh, you know what day that was? Uh, the day the music died. That was the day of the John F. Kennedy assassination. <laughs> oh, look at that! Two of your favorite things on one day. Oh my gosh. The Kennedy assassination is only the second biggest tragedy of <laughs> November 22nd, 1963. <laughs> uh, people are like, do you remember when you were on that date? And you're like, absolutely. That's the day that it all fell apart. That's the day that Fords took over the lions. <laughs> oh my God. I cannot believe that. <laughs> Uh, man, I'm going to, you ever find out a fact and you know, you're going to be telling it in bars for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can add that to add that to your Rolodex. That's a good one. Oh my gosh. The Joel Wachowski postering doll. You pull it back and it's just the Ford family purchased the lines on the same day as the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> Do you think it's a coincidence? Cause I think it was a power play. Yeah. I say, I say those facts. I talk about Pilates, then I mention winning the Big Walkowski basketball tournament three year, three times. Um, and, and yeah, there's a uh, one of the best things we saw in the economy last year is that low-skilled workers, their wages went up. And we've seen those wages kind of scale back, and we're seeing automation. That is, we're seeing robots take our jobs, not only in manufacturing, but now in the retail space. I people now people say this and obviously I'm sure it's true, but I haven't really, I mean, granted, I, we lived in New York. I, I don't feel like there was a lot of that going on in New York. Maybe it's different if you're in maybe say California, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't I seen would, a lot of I would automation. Go ahead. Yep. But New York will never be taken over by automation because these robots will be law abiding. And I can't imagine a robot, a bodega robot that won't sell you a Lucy. Yes. I'll, yeah. I can't, I can't be buddies with the robot either. I don't think I, I need to walk in. I need to hear you, my buddy, my friend. I need that. I can't have a robot. Tell me that it means nothing. I need a heart are, to tell me he's my buddy and my friend. How are these robots going to get a cat to stop the rats from eating the bread? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I did, I was in, uh, 
um, Walmart a couple weeks ago, and they did have a robot going around mopping the floor. I did see that, um, but that is really the only automation. And I suppose you know these self checkouts; these are that's technically could be considered automation to a degree, uh, if not completely. Um, so that's that is interesting. Yeah, it's a shame. Automation is it's taking over checkouts, and I wish I didn't retire from shoplifting this year. I got to tell you that. Well, you had a good run. And there are exceptions, you know. I have the uh, the protein exemption, which is I'm only allowed to shoplift when, because, like, if, you, if you're in New York, a lot of homeless guys will ask you to buy them a soda and a bag of chips. And I'll happily do that. But when I do, I'll go into Dwayne Reed and I'll shoplift them a protein bar as well. Oh, that's so nice. I, yeah, I steal just to make sure the homeless are getting their nutritional needs met. You're like Robin Hood. Yeah, I'm an app that crashes every time there's tumult in the stock market. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's. We, I, I've said my piece. Let's. Um, you you did an amazing job researching this episode. Why don't you take the reins and, and lead us through it? Okay, well, so we kind of talked about this last week, and um, I think it, I think it's very interesting to me, and I wanted to do some more, uh, more of a deep dive on it because with all this stuff going on, there's a lot of companies filing for bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcies, Chapter 7 bankruptcy. All these companies are filing for this, and I think a lot of people hear that and they see that, and a lot of people don't really have a uh, context of what that really means, uh, the weight of what that is really. So do you know, did you know, I didn't know what this was until I looked it up, but did you, do you know what chapter 11 bankruptcy is? Um, chapter 11 bankruptcy, I believe that's where you're, you're going to be able to stay in business. Like you reorganize your debt to stay functioning. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, that was basically, you know, you, uh, coming to your debtors or coming to the people that are financing you uh, and saying like, hey, I have a plan to liquidate you know, this amount of stores to reduce uh, money bleed, and we're going to you know, make these cost-cutting measures. Uh, they allow you to come with, with a plan first, and if you can't do that, uh, then they you know, appoint someone else to do it. And then there's also situations where I believe it's – we'll talk about that in a minute, actually. But Chapter 7 is different because in Chapter 7, there is a court-mandated – um, person that takes takes over the whole situation. They don't allow you to touch it anymore. Uh, you're you're done, and they pretty much you're you're being liquidated. So, um, but yeah, that's exactly that's basically it. Bankruptcy Code Eleven. Uh, it's um, they they requ- they're required time to restructure their debt. So they give them time to try and restructure and uh, and and fulfill their their requirements to the debtors and all that stuff by uh, coming up with a plan to pay them back. Um, yeah, and I be- I believe it can go both ways, like. A business can be Chapter 11 or Chapter 7. An individual can be Chapter 11 or 7, depending on the specifics. But Chapter 11 is geared more towards business owners. Right, exactly. And it's, I mean, it's the most complex form of bankruptcy. I don't actually know how many ty- how many forms or how many, I don't know how many chapters there are, but Chapter 11 is the most, uh, is the most complicated. I think that's the one that se- seems to be most common uh, with everything going on as of late. Um, now, yeah, I'm sure there are a more- lot of companies, a lot of companies that we respect, that we talk about, have filed for Chapter 11. It's not, the, it's not a coffin sentence. You can move on. You can still do business. Right. 
There is, you can recover. A lot of companies have recovered. Uh, people personally, you know, file for bankruptcy and they come back. Um, so it, it is, obviously it's not ideal, but uh, it, it is something, it's not like you said, it's not a death sentence. Um, so as, I mean, there's more uh, than 55 major companies. Companies are filing for bank uh, bankruptcy every day. So I just picked a list of a couple bigger companies and companies I thought were interesting and that deserve to kind of have, a little bit of light shown on them just again to again give perspective on what it means when you hear a company is is filing for bankruptcy because some of the companies that are filing for bankruptcy uh these days are companies that are almost 100 years old i mean they've been around they've survived the great depression they've survived uh world wars and uh this coronavirus has has really affected them so much that a lot of them are filing for bankruptcy so um although that, that's also true of uh people who lived through the great depression they're being taken out by coronavirus as well <laughs> exactly. so really corporations they are people absolutely absolutely it's, it, it affects it, everybody and can I jump in and say one thing here? Yeah, of course. And we've talked on this. We've talked in this podcast about a couple bankruptcies that were companies trying to get ahead and not paying their vendors and employees, such as the WWE-owned XFL. These are not the case. These are companies that have been hit hard. It's not a strategic move. The companies we're going to go after, they're this is them responding to an apocalyptic marketplace. Right. Uh, I mean, it's like everything in life. You're going to have people that are going to take advantage of the system however they can. And you're going to have people that are going to do file for bankruptcy as they need. But what, what were you going to say? So let's walk through it. Um, our first one that you have laid out for us, I think everyone has bought shoes from there if, I'm, if they aren't size 15. Aldo, 3,000 yeah. locations in 100 countries. Yeah, I mean, started. This is a company. This is kind of what got me into looking to when they started. But three thousand companies, a uh, hundred countries. They filed May seventh. Um, they are uh, filing for bankruptcy. They were started in nineteen sixty six in uh, in Canada uh, by Aldo. Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Ben Sedone. Uh, he's a French guy. Al sure. Aldo Ben Sedone. Ah, yes, the French guy, of course. Um, a company that's been around for a long time. I own a pair of shoes from there. I own a pair of shoes that I've had for a long time from there. They're very nice. Um, the people, you know, I, I don't know. I, I associate them with malls, but I guess they had a lot of standalone stores. By 1980, um, they grew at a really quick pace, and uh, they opened up 95 freestanding all those stores by the 80s. So from 1966 to 1980, they, they expanded Pretty quickly, obviously, we're going to cover some companies that have uh, that expanded even faster than that. But and, um, and I, I have a personal re connection with Aldo, and I'd like to tell this story. But before I do, I want to ask you, we're both comedians. How We've been doing it for years and years. And as a comedian, you're tr kind of trained to say yes to everything. So, Matt, what's the worst thing as a comedian you've ever agreed to? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, there's probably some, you mean comedically or just because I've definitely agreed to some shows that I some should not have it done. It could be a project. It could be a show. You name it. Lay it on. I did a show one time at a biker rally in Indiana. It was outside. Uh, there were people that were drunk, but not just drunk. They were drunk on moonshine that was being made at the biker rally. 
I was being heckled from the stage. I had to do 15 to 20 minutes being heckled from the stage. I was supposed to do two nights. I did one night and said, I'm not coming back. And I left miserable, truly miserable. So for me, I, I knew a couple of like street performers, performance artists, they would do Christmas Carol on the subway. I thought it was pretty cool, but they approached me about appearing in their 12 part comedic series, tennis tramps about homeless people who play tennis <laughs> in New York city courts. And they wanted me to play a character called Aldo. So they had me film in every Aldo in New York city. They had me film in the freezing cold, faking seizures on subway, burying smoked fish, spitting fish everywhere. Everything was about me taking smoked fish into these shops because it's somehow I got their name. And I probably did seven days of work on this short. Never came out. Well, but somewhere that footage still exists somewhere. Yeah. And it's like I, I was new to comedy. So I'd have like my mom and cousin in town. And I was like, hey, I got to go film this thing. So I brought my mom and cousin to go watch me fake a seizure on the A train. Well, you know what, though? You're, you know, I, I can at least respect that because maybe you thought that was probably going to be good. I heard biker rally and I said, this is going to be bad. And uh, they paid me and it was bad. I have done another biker rally, though, that was great. I did a biker rally. It was inside for like 3000 people. Um, it was so much fun. It was one of the best shows I've ever done. So uh, I didn't say it didn't turn me off the whole thing, but I just made sure I was like, I'm never going. I'm never going back. I'm not going back to that one. So, um yeah. Yeah. I bought into these guys because they were big in entertainment. And by that, I mean, one of them owned a dog that was also a famous painter. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? If he could do this for a dog, he could probably help me out. And really, he did more for the dog. I mean, unfortunately, I guess I'm not too surprised. But the dog, he gets all the money from the dog. The dog doesn't get any of that money. Unable to properly follow in a dog's footsteps. I feel like Sam Richardson and Veep. What do I tell you? So back to the Aldo business. Uh, well, yeah. So uh, by 1994, they finally venture out uh, out to uh, North America or out of North America, excuse me. And they franchise in Israel. Um, they're uh, they're expanding very quickly, um, and uh, they're in malls. You know, kids. I, I don't know how many times I walked by. I feel like that was a, a moment of ma- uh, maturing when you walk into an Aldo and you buy your first pair of dress shoes. Um, I'm wearing sneakers. I'm wearing skate shoes. Then I get invited to a wedding and I got to go into Aldo and buy a pair of nice shoes. And they had designer shoes, um, that were very fancy. So I think that was a big deal, but they are officially, uh, filing for chapter 11. I don't know if they're going to be around. I don't know if they're going to restructure and close some stores and keep it open, but I just thought Aldo was a good place to start because I feel like it's a very name. It's a name that people recognize for sure. Yeah, and like I, I'm a size 15. I got some disgusting Sasquatch feet. My toenails—they're six inches thick. Um, so it, <laughs> it is—it does—it pl- does pluck the old heartstrings to hear you talk. I missed out on this coming-of-age benchmark of good shopping for shoes at Aldo. I'm crestfallen. Just another, uh, just another 
nail in the coffin that is uh, the mall, I think. Um, uh, another stock we have here is uh, Avianca, uh, which is a Avianca, I'm not sure how you say it, but it's a Latin uh, American airline. It's the carrier, uh, is the second largest Latin American airline. Uh, but obviously airlines now, no one is traveling. Certainly no one is traveling really abroad. Certainly no one is traveling abroad to uh, Colombia and, and uh, Brazil and all these other Latin countries where, the, where they operate. Uh, this is a Colombian company. Um, but it says that the, the uh, pandemic had cut more than 80% of its income, um, and it was struggling with the high fixed costs. Of, and you uh, hate to see this company take a. You hate to see this company take a hit. Is there a company name that is more fuckable than Avianca? It I sounds mean, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Yes, uh, that is the, the you know their motto is we're the thickest airline. So. Um, it's it's a shame, you know. I you know how we all know how much I love the Latinas and the Latin culture. So it, it hurts me to see them struggle. So the, and again, they this is chapter eleven. They could come out of this. Um, I highly, uh, unfortunately, I highly doubt it. I mean, this is me basing off of just what I read. I doubt it, um, but you never know. Um, in a statement, the firm said it has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in a court in New York. The process postpones the U.S. company's obligations to its creditors, giving it time to uh, reorganize its debt. So basically, like I said, that's what Chapter 11 is. So they are filing. Uh, they're going to hopefully be able to reorganize and, and save themselves. But who knows? Um, I hate I hate to be the dumb yokel of this podcast, but I am this week. And... I would expect to hear the phrase Avianca goes down followed by the other phrase on a professional soccer player. That's a very <laughs> hot name. Hey, you know, that's true. There's gotta be, there's definitely some Aviancas out there. And honestly, if they, if the company goes out of business, uh, I might name my uh, next dog or cat Avianca. Um, they did file for bankruptcy in early 2000. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when uh, ex when the specific date, but early 2000s, they already filed for bankruptcy once, and they had a, a deal with a Bolivian oil tycoon, um, and the air uh, the air uh, airline grew very quickly um, from that. But uh, the debt kept going, and um, the success uh, kind of slowed down, obviously, and obviously with the, like I said, the, the global pandemic, air travel itself has fallen by 90%, uh, according to the International Air Transport Association, which I am the head of, I'm the head of the International Air Transport Association. So uh, Latin American Airlines will lose $15 billion in revenue this year, the biggest drop in industry history. Wow, that is huge. Yeah. So like I said, I don't, I mean, even though they are going to try and restructure, I do not see it ending well for them. Um, but who knows, maybe you can file for bankruptcy twice and come back, uh, even stronger. They came back strong the first time. So maybe they can hit up that Bolivian oil tycoon and see how he's doing. Yeah, that could be dry. I wonder what company has the most bankruptcies of any of them. Oh, that is a good, that, that would be, yeah, that's a good, uh, that would be good to know. Actually. I'm curious, uh, to, to see what that would be, but, um, yeah. what company, I, I bet the guy with the most divorces works for the company that has the most bankruptcies. That ha There needs to be that. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. There's got to be like, is there a Guinness World? Is there like a Guinness? We should start this if it doesn't exist. The Guinness Book of World Records, but it's all for shitty stuff like that. Like longest, uh, who's there? Like the longest erection. You know how they say like you have, if you have an erection lasting longer than however many hours. Like, is there somebody that's had an erection for like 30 years? <laughs> 
Yeah, there must be a guy who has had an erection for 30 years. I imagine someone is like in a coma on a Cialis drip somewhere. <laughs> um, or, you know, yeah, like most divorces, uh, most bankruptcies filed. What are some other terrible uh, world records that, that, that we could set if they're not already out there? Well, I mean, Steve Whalen tried to make the Guinness Book of World Records, and we saw how that turned out. So, What was his record he was going for? He, he was trying to set the record for most tracks on a comedy album before he tragically passed. And I would love to see him get recognized posthumously for his achievement. Do you know what did he put his album out? Yeah, I, I think he did. Uh, do you know how many album uh, how many tracks there are? There's got to be a lot. I mean, I remember Steve Whale and he had a lot of jokes. That's why he was Mr. Jokes. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, gosh. R.I.P. Steve. We love Steve. Um, uh, next on our list uh, is Dean and DeLuca. Are you familiar with Dean and DeLuca? Man, there is a blight that has been going across New York City since the gentrification boom of the early 2010s. And you're kind of seeing beloved businesses get washed out. The places that make neighborhoods great, like in Williamsburg, Enid's is closed, Matchless is closed. And Dina DeLuca, it was the absolute hub of Soho on Broadway, like just a couple blocks south of Houston Street. And it was the hub of high-end food in New York City. Of all the brands that are equated with New York, I thought Dean and DeLuca was the best of them. I mean, I remember hearing about them well before I moved to New York. Um, it's just, that's one of the reasons I added them onto this list because it is such an iconic place. Uh, you know, like you just said, you list all these places. Gem Spa is out of business. Gem Spa closed their doors, uh, which is very sad. Um, you know, uh, Basquiat has painted about Gem Spa. Lou Reed has a song about it. Uh, it really brought the, uh, that area together. So it's, it's sad to see, but so Dean and DeLuca, um, like you said, you basically, you, you talked about it already, but started very young, uh, very early on 1976, Joel Dean. Uh, it started out as a high end meat and cheese and it's a very high end. Well, I guess it was a, what was it, a grocery store. Do you think it's Jimmy Dean's pretentious brother? <laughs> Jimmy Dean's making sausage. Joel Dean's starting artisanal grocery shops in New York City. A lot of Thanksgiving I, I don't know. there. I mean, hey, Jimmy Dean being a sausage guy isn't even is. Wasn't he like a movie star? Jimmy Dean was like a movie star, and he was just like, "I'm gonna build a sausage empire." Um, I I would cor- correct you, but the world is a better place if I just say, "Yes, you're right." <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Jimmy Dean of Jimmy Dean Sausage was a movie star, and then he parlayed his fortune into the sausage game, and now he's the number one name in the sausage game. You heard and it here I, first. I, I'm saddened by Dean and DeLuca. Dean and DeLuca is a vital part of my New York story. I remember when I moved to New York, I was very hand to mouth. I had no money to really have a nice meal. My mom sent me a Dean and DeLuca gift card, so my sister and I, we went. We got scallops. We ate them on my porch. As my career developed, I was always going in there for my production design needs and buying them out of fine pastries, flowers, vegetables. They're the most photographic, friendly food in the whole city. And now that they're gone, not only is like 
the prop industry reacting, but all their vendors, because they're basically a place for fine food to find its audience. Those right. vendors have nowhere to put their supply chain. It just goes into nowhere. Right. Yeah. So, like I said, that's that's another added to the list of uh, very sad closures through all this. Um, we've got uh, Gold's Gym. Uh, Gold's Gym is also filed for uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, um, which uh, are they competitors with World Gym? I mean, I would say all gyms are competitors with each other. I do believe World Gym, your least favorite company, kind of ripped off the Gold's Gym font and logo. Uh, oh yeah. By the way, I canceled. I canceled my credit card that they were charging me for, so they can't charge me anymore. So you know, suck my dick two times, World Gym. Um, They're gonna be so nice to you the next time you talk to them in person. They better be, but, otherwise well, nothing's gonna happen. World's Gym. It is the hub of Muscle Beach in Venice, California. You see Arnold. He's wearing their tank top in all these great films, including Pumping Iron. Um, if you guys haven't, you can go on YouTube, look up the Pumping Iron theme song. It is great. It's a melodic singer-songwriter singing about bodybuilders. It's wonderful. But, you know, just as, like, Dean and DeLuca is a big part of New York culture, Gold's Gym, it really shaped the Los Angeles culture of the 1980s. So it's sad to see it go. Absolutely. Uh, again, it's started by uh, Joe uh, Joe Gold in 1965. So it started in 1965. He eventually sold. Uh, he sold Gold. Also, I just want to say this real quick. Joe Gold, not his actual name. He was born Sidney Gold. So I don't know why he changed his name from Sidney. I think a big buff guy named Sidney is badass. So if you're, uh, uh, don't be ashamed if your name is Sidney. Just get super, super swole and nobody will mess with you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger used to work there. Yeah, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, that's the most famous bodybuilder of all time. Like, they developed their company on Arnold's well-muscled back. Yeah, he, that's why he was so strong. He was carrying that company. Um, but he was yeah. friends with Joe. Joe gave him his job there. I mean, Joe gave him the job there. Uh, I... Um, I don't know. I just thought, I think that, I thought that was an interesting story. The very first Gold's Gym was started in Venice Beach, uh, and uh, I've seen a lot of news stories recently about that Gold's Gym and that area of the city is is being taken over by homeless. There's a ton, hundreds and hundreds of homeless. Obviously, California has a huge homeless problem, but a lot of them are congregating during all this panic and during all this pandemic at the Gold's Gym because obviously no one's going in there. They're filing for bankruptcy, so uh, they have taken over that area. I saw. A lot of photos when I was doing research today of of hundreds of homeless people around the original Gold's Gym. So it's just uh, it's it's sad to think about. Obviously, the homeless people is sad, but it's also sad too. Um, well, what if to, that's how it's always been? What if homeless people just have always congregated there? Then they get buff enough to become a professional bodybuilder. Gold's Gym homeless people are congregating there. Here's hoping that the homeless get pretty diesel. Yeah, I, I hopefully they can at least you know lift some, get strong enough to open the doors. Um, let's see, I got uh, the one. This is one of the ones I really wanted to talk about because honestly, this one this one made me sad because it made me think about I don't know being a child, but also when you did the re when I did the research on this, it really goes to show this is uh, the impact of these bankruptcies and what bankruptcy really means for these companies. 
JC Penny. People hear JC Penny. I don't know about you, but until I did some research, I did not realize anything about it. But it's founded by a guy who I love because his name is James Cash Penny. Come on, are James you kidding? Cash Penny, you're you you're destined to be a billionaire if that's your name. <laughs> I 100%. mean, come on. Crazy. What a perfect name. Oh, that's like Usain Bolt being a great runner. It's like, of course you are. Look at your name. J.C. Penny, James Cash Penny. He founded J.C. Penny in 1904. Uh, 1904. By 1912, he had 32 stores. By 1924, uh, they had opened up their 500th store. By 1928, they had 1,000 stores. And the gross business was $190 million. $190 million in 1928 is gross business equates to $2.8 billion today. Uh, I mean, that amount of growth, you know, you start from 19, uh, 1904 to 1928. Uh, that is insane to, to expand that quickly, in, at least in my mind. Um, 1940, Sam Walton works at JCPenney. Um, which is kind of interesting, you know, Sam Walton obviously founded Walmart in 1962. Uh, so I just thought that was an interesting, yeah. And that's uh, like the, the, the plot of a Kung Fu movie, the, the, the pupil becomes the sensei. You should never have hired Sam Walton. He creates the ultimate big box shop and starts running outlets like JC Penny out of business. If he would have just let Sam Walton keep walking, J.C. Penny would not be in Chapter 11 today. Hey, that's an interesting theory. Honestly, though, I don't know much about this, and I would like to do more research on this because I've always heard people talk about if Sam Walton knew what Walmart was doing these today, he'd be very upset. I'm curious to see if that's the case. I guess I don't know much about about Sam Walton, but I do. I have heard things talk about how once he died, Walmart. That's when Walmart became really, really evil. Um, but that remains to be seen. Um, by 1941, J.C. Penny operated uh, 1,600 stores in all 48 states um but uh yeah um I'm, all 48 states oh right jc penny um he's so old he doesn't recognize alaska or hawaii <laughs> absolutely that's exactly it i think i mean right alaska and hawaii when do they become states because apparently uh back then they were not it um james cash penny uh 19 or excuse me yeah February 12th, 1971, James Cash Penny died at the age of 95. Uh, because of his death, the company's stores were closed the morning of his funeral, which was February 16th. And that year, the company's revenue reached $5 billion. 1971, $5 billion, that equates to $31.6 billion today. That is... That's what this is exactly why I want to cover kind of talking about this because you go from the 1971, uh, 31.6 billion today, uh, to filing bankruptcy. Uh, it, it's so crazy to see this company grow and grow and grow. And it's, it makes me sad to think about this is how it ends. I mean, obviously it's a corporation and you can't feel too bad, but it's, at the same time, it is a crazy story. We talk about the shock, and a big part about the shock is that our new economy is going to streamline and clear out the dinosaurs from the capitalist landscape. And I see this as an extension of it. And I see our next brand as a similar extension of it. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy because I was talking to um, some people that, you know, like my mom and uh, they remember JCPenney. They remember what it was like. You know, they said it's it's like Amazon. It's like it was like you would you, you needed something. You went there. They had it. That's where you went to get it. Uh, if they didn't have it, they would order it for you. Uh, it, it's crazy to to think about. Um, so May 15th, 2020, JC filed, uh, excuse me, JCPenney filed for Chapter 11 um, bankruptcy. They... Uh, Closed. I'm trying to find by mid-May. It had reopened. If corporations are indeed people, the Oscars in memorial montage this year are going to be crazy. They're yeah. giving shots to J.C. Penney, to Models. Perfect. I can't wait to see it. Let's talk about Models, another company that is like a pretty fundamental part of New York history. Absolutely. Uh, I had never seen a Models until I until I moved to New York, and I really didn't uh, appreciate the the weight of what Models is. Models used to be uh, one of the biggest um, sporting goods stores in the city. They expanded to uh, Pennsylvania, and they expanded to be, to be huge. And they were family owned for I can't find it in my notes here, but they were family owned for like four or five generations. Yeah, and they they did pretty well, and they also. You love to see it. They're one of the first companies to go bankrupt after being featured on Undercover Boss. Yeah. So if I were if I were an employee of Models, I would probably be pretty disgruntled if only because they play their jingle on a loop in their retail stores, which is probably why they're closed. They gotta go to Mo's, gotta go to Mo's, yeah, gotta go to Mo's, Models. So if I were an employee, I would just be watching that undercover boss episode on loop, cackling to myself. Yeah, that is interesting that uh, they were they were undone um, by the undercover boss, or not uh, not fully undone, but that did not help them. It aired in November second, twenty twelve, and then in twenty fourteen, a lawsuit by rival Dick Sporting Goods accused Models CEO of going undercover in their stores to gain access to their retail secrets. So he learned a lot by being on Undercover Boss. He learned a whole lot, and he learned how to get into Dicks and get their secrets. And. They, they had a pretty baller move. Um, their sales had been going down for a while now, and they blamed them on climate change. <laughs> like, yo, you think if temperatures are going up, more people might be buying basketballs and rollerblades, but that's <laughs> just me. We just can't move these baseballs. They, nobody wants these baseballs. Um, I, I, I'm not in New York, but I can only imagine the flagship store on 42nd Street is just outbroken into a wonderful vigil. Yeah, all uh, they're gonna hire. They're gonna they're gonna fi- uh, fly all their baseball hats at at half mast. Um, yeah. So in May 2019, Model lent the company 6.7 million. Uh, lent, excuse me, Model lent the company 6.7 million to avoid bankruptcy in February 2020. The company announced that it intended to close 24 stores. However, in March 2020, the company filed for Chapter 11. Um, and uh, Tiger Capital is being appointed as the liquidator. So the liquidation began on March 13th, 2020. Um, yeah, so that's all we have on Models. But RIP Models. And, you know, they are, they're a company that really empowered our athletes, as did another company that just declared bankruptcy, Hertz. Thank you for bringing O.J. Simpson further in, into our lives. And we are sad to see Hertz rental car file for bankruptcy we oh wait why are we excited about hertz i don't understand 
Didn't Hertz file for Chapter 11? Yes, but why are we excited about this? What did Hertz do? What do they have to do with... Uh, what, what do well, they, they have to... Modell's empowers athletes, and Hertz empowered O.J. Simpson by making them their, his, their spokesperson in the 1980s. I did not know that. Well, this is another company that kind of very similar to, to JCPenney. It kind of made me a little sad to see because I didn't realize this. And again, this is another reason we're doing this on the podcast. I think a lot of companies or a lot of people don't realize, you know, you see Hertz. Hertz has been around forever, but it really has been around forever. Uh, Hertz was a rental car service that was founded in 1918. Um, and they started out yeah, they with started a... started out as Hertz Rent-A-Buggy. Yes. Well, they, it's crazy to think about, but they started out with a small fleet of Model Ts. I mean, imagine, you know, I can't even wrap my head around being around when the car was invented, but being able to go somewhere and rent a car and, and you know, they're brand new. You've never been in a car before. So you get your money, you go rent a car for the first time. I mean, that's just so crazy to think about. Um, that in Hertz is, then, is, go ahead. It must have been like, a leisure company at that point then it's not like you rent a car like today like it's a it was a way to expose the common people to this novelty they were no different than disney world in their origins right right well and it's like you hear people talk about going on a sunday drive i mean that used to be a thing i, I obviously i'm you know neither of us are old enough to remember that but that used to be a thing where you'd go on a sunday drive and you would just drive because being in a car was something so new to people and so exciting um that i'm sure people would rent a car from hertz go on a drive on a sunday you just drive through the countryside or drive through wherever um that was a huge huge deal and and Again, like I said, I think people see Hertz filing for bankruptcy, but that's huge because they're also uh, they have a huge market share. They're what the number two car rental company in the United States. I mean, they're they've they grew up and they expanded so quickly, and it's crazy. And certain companies, they they obviously do things right. They come up with an idea. Not only did Hertz come up with the first car rental company they were the first person to put a car rental company in an airport which they did in chicago in 1932 and that's like pretty good foundation for a business i'm surprised to see hertz's finances were this unstable they're taking this kind of a hit but my biggest concern without the branding of hertz what does this mean for this childhood street joke would you like a hertz donut <laughs> Uh, honestly, stock in that has never been higher. I mean, I guess you can't really touch people. You can't really hit kids, uh, not because you're not allowed to, but because you can't touch them. But, you can't uh, touch people. Hertz is no longer a brand. Could we see the Hertz donut street joke on its dying days? Look, you listen to me right now. I will never let that happen. I will never. I will take that joke and I will br I will prop it up. Those will be my last words. My last words. I'll be on my my deathbed, and my last words will be, "Would you like a Hertz donut?" And then that's that'll be it. Yeah, that's how I'm really gonna feel my mortality someday. I'm gonna be with my kids. I'm gonna say, "You want a Hertz donut?" And they're gonna look at me with their big glassy blue eyes and say, "What's Hertz?" It doesn't sound familiar to me, father. <laughs> and then I'll just know my death rattle is imminent. <laughs> and that my time is behind, beyond us. Um, we should probably wrap things up. We have one more fun story and then a stock pick for our listeners. That sounds great. Uh, yeah, this story I just thought was uh, really was relevant because a couple episodes back, uh, we talked about this Portland drive-through strip club, which uh, we, we I would love to visit. I'm, I'm sure it's a, a real hoot. But um, a guy in Miami, uh, he uh, Instagram, you can follow him, the real Dr. Miami, because, you know, if you're going to follow a doctor on Instagram, you want it to be the real one, uh, has been doing 
doing drive through I like how you introduced it as a guy in Miami, not a doctor in Miami. Look, I'm not going to I'm not going to respect you as a doctor if you have an Instagram account and you call yourself the real doctor of Miami. You're to me, you're a guy. Um, but the real doctor of Miami on Instagram, he has 1.4 million followers. He's doing drive-through Botox appointments, and I did watch a video uh, of a woman driving through and someone in a medical mask uh, injecting her face in Botox or uh, with Botox, and then she just drives away. So, yeah. you know, I'm just glad that there is. We got drive-through Botox. We got drive-through strip clubs. We have drive drive-through something for everybody. We everyone can go out and have a great time in their cars. Absolutely. I mean, you can't rent a car, so hopefully you own a car. But um, if you do, it makes me think, too, what else can we make drive-through? If you can make a drive-through strip club and you can make a drive-through Botox center, then what else can we make drive-through? I mean, it's got to be, there's got to be room for improvement. There's got to be room for movement. We, we, I believe in our ability to do that. We keep getting disrupted because my in-laws like to reset the router. So we've had a fun episode, and before we go, I do have a stock pick. I love Nano Dimensions. They are utilizing 3D technology to print electronic components, such as touch, touch sensors, which you know may or may not require touch, but it's something we've talked about in this episode. You're going to see it everywhere, and these things, they have a real cost to them. For them to do it with a 3D printer, sky is the limit. Yeah, 3D printing is so huge, and uh, it's only going to get better as as time goes on. I mean, they're already printing, you know, people are already 3D printing uh, medical, medical, you know, people have 3D printed objects in their body. 3D printing is going to be is going to be huge, and uh, it's already it's just going to be it's just going to get better and better. Yeah, it is fantastic that there, this company had a real swell of market support last week, but it's come back down to earth, so you can still get it for under three dollars a share. And there's tremendous upside. Again, it is Nano Dimensions. Look it up. I bought 20 shares today for around fifty-seven dollars. So I like to play. It's a buy and hold, and I recommend it highly. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's a good pick. This was a good episode. Um, Joel, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you as always. This was great. I had a good time. I got to uh, really sink my teeth into some of this, so I appreciate it. I know this is a bit of a longer episode, so I appreciate everybody uh, sticking through, listening, supporting us. Um, do you have anything you uh, would like to plug before we go? Yeah, as always, please support um, this show. Please support me at Joel Walkowski on Instagram, The Walkowski on Twitter. And I have my game show in action coming out today on the Props Network. We do a soccer one with the Cooligans. It's a blast. And then I'll be back with Pilot on NFL podcast tomorrow. Great, great. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. I um, uh, You can follow me on Instagram at MattBackusSucks. I'm on Twitter at MattBackus. Uh, I'm going to be spending the next couple days in the Badlands in South Dakota. So if you'd like to come find me there, um, feel free. I'm going to go hiking and um, maybe do some mushrooms out in the uh, desert or wherever the hell. Desert mountains. I don't really know where it is, but uh, I'm excited to go do that. So I will be uh, back. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, keep sharing the podcast with people please we're putting a lot of work into it uh i appreciate you i know does joel does too joel that's it that is it matt are we gonna be a little late next week because of your camping trip 
No, no, no. I'll be back. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't imagine we we should be okay. We'll be okay. I think I'm coming back Friday, so I think um, we'll put this out tomorrow, and uh, we'll be good for next week. Okay. Well, Matt is driving to South Dakota for a day. From the sound of it, I hope you have fun, Matt. We'll be delayed if you get eaten by a bear. Otherwise, we'll be back next week. All right. That's it. Goodbye. Um, I'll be back Sunday. Cool. I think. I think we're. I think we're